episode 29 of Glass of Joe, PJ Glasser with Joe Malfa. A lot to get into today. Rob Carlin is doing Terps pre and post game shows, talks to us about Maryland and Caps a little bit, college football a little bit, everything. Before we get into that interview, Joe, talk about the NFL slate from last week. Before we Such get Such a weird slate. There was, there was so little to talk about yet so much to talk about. And what I mean by that is like, all right, the one o'clock games, they were all two score games. I remember even Scott Hansen in red zone said like, we don't even, we're not even sure if we should call this a witching hour today because they're all blowouts. The only game that was a one possession game was the Broncos Panthers, which had a pretty exciting ending. They went back and forth with a couple touchdowns. That was the only game from the one o'clock window where an underdog won and it was a one score game. But it meant nothing. They're both non-playoff teams. Then at 4 o'clock, same thing except for one game, which was the Saints and the Eagles, and then the two primetime games were huge games. So it was really those three games, Saints-Eagles, the two primetime games, were the big things to talk about. So And there was so much to talk about within those three games. So so little to talk about in that it's really only three key games, but so much to talk about in that those three games, especially Monday night, PJ, I'm sure you were going nuts watching that game. (laughs) Going absolutely nuts. Before we talk about that one, I do want to talk Eagles-Saints. Joe, it's going to be interesting to see how Hurts finishes the season because Carson Wentz's job just keeps on God. not looking good. It's, it's, uh, he's it's definitely lost. He's lost the fan base for sure. Absolutely. Um, I mean, Hurts just beat what many people feel like the best team in the NFC. That so was that's the one impressive. Pick last week that everybody, almost everybody, got dead wrong. In that it, it was just forget the spread. I mean, forget forget that. Just straight up, I don't think anybody thought the Eagles were just going to beat the Saints outright, considering what we've seen from the Saints. I mean, last week I read through the stats that they had like fifty percent of their last drives over the last five games were three and outs defensively. Like you throw in a new quarterback to the Wolves. I think people some people thought they might have gotten a cover. I didn't personally, but some people might have thought they would have gotten a cover. I don't think I saw anybody pick the Eagles outright. I, I didn't like them outright. I thought uh, when the spread was six and a half and it was daring you to to take the Saints with the touchdown, I'm like, that's a little fishy. But then it moved up to seven, seven and a half. And I'm like, yeah. the Saints will they'll win. They're such a good road team. Um, but, I mean, you see this all the time when teams just don't have tape on a guy and they're kind of just like – overlooking they obviously have the showdown with the Chiefs this weekend you wonder if they just didn't take the Eagles seriously they got punched in the mouth in the yeah. first half um came back really well though in the they, they did and I was gonna onside, say I don't know how they didn't recover that onside kick it well looked like for sure the Saints should have had it Elliot missed that chip shot field goal at the end of the first half and you're kind of like uh-oh that that might yeah. get the Saints going and it did but luckily the Eagles had enough to hang on you still do you still think the Saints are the best team in the NFC because it seems like now all of a sudden everybody's on the Packers I haven't been on the Saints really as the best team I've been saying since the beginning that I don't think there is a clear-cut best team in the NFC because you kind of have that whole circle where like the Bucks killed the Packers who beat the Saints you know who have looked at times as the most out like you just have the whole circle in the nfc so i haven't felt there's a clear-cut team i do think there's a clear-cut best team in the nfc now i think it's the rams um but i i I don't think unless breeze comes back and is 100 healthy that the saints can kind of claim that throne the packers and the rams i think are the two best teams in the nfc and the packers still have some holes and their weaknesses 
are the Rams' strength, and that's something we'll get to as we get closer to the right. playoffs. But the the Rams' strengths play right into the Packers' weaknesses. So that's the matchup I kind of want to see when it comes down to the NFC title game, depending on how things can fall. But uh, but yeah, I th- the Saints they need Breeze back healthy. He is activated this week. I want to see what he looks like. Um, their defense has been stellar. There's no question. But without Breeze, you're you've seen. Kamara's not the same. Michael Thomas is not the same. So now your two all-world skill position guys are less valuable. Taysom Hill is most valuable as a gimmick guy. Yeah. So without, without Drew Brees, everybody slots into a position that they're not the best at. They're, that team is run by Drew Brees. Everybody falls into place then when Brees is there. So I want to see how they look this week if Brees is healthy. And then maybe next week we have a clearer picture of the top of the NFC. But right now... Right now, I've maintained all year. There's no clear-cut best. I think it's the Packers and the Rams maybe slightly ahead of the Saints. But if Breeze comes back this week and Kamara looks like Kamara with like 70 and 70 receiving and rushing and Michael Thomas has his traditional 13 catches for a million yards, then I might be inclined to say, yeah, this, the Saints still are the best team. Love the Rams. Their defense might be the best in football. Sean McVay, obviously, great coach. Cam Akers, I think they found something in him at running back. They've kind of been trading off with him, Daryl Henderson, and Malcolm Brown, but now he's the guy. Two great receivers, good tight end. Just comes down to Jared Goff for the Rams. That's the thing. The, all those top NFC East, uh, NFC teams, Breeze, Rodgers, Wilson, and then it's like Goff. And how is he going to yeah. fit into that mix? But I tell you, we're going to get into the Chief Saints later on in the pod, but uh, seeing Kansas City on that turf is going to be fun to watch. It's going to be really fun. I I can't watch. (laughs) We go over to the AFC now, Joe. Bills and Steelers. For you, we were split on the game. I thought the Steelers were going to win because everybody was talking about how fraud they were, the worst 11-1 team ever. The defense was fantastic in the first half, but the offense just couldn't get it going. And then Josh Allen, again, was was really, really good. Do you think this game was more about just – how for real the Bills are or that the Steelers got some real serious issues. So, so in fairness, I did after our conversation last week where I said, I think this is when the Bills finally uh, pulled out that big signature win. Double-edged sword sometimes to looking at the weather reports like I do before every game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I nailed all those Browns unders like three weeks in a row because of the monsoons that they had. Um, the Buffalo forecast was for snow. And it seemed like it was going to be the whole game. And obviously you watch the game. All it ended up being was a little bit of a light flurry. So in the end, I did end up picking the Steelers in my, in my pickup pool, just because I thought if it got to be like a bad weather game, the Steelers kind of defense and short passing game would be favored in that weather. Um, so I did get the pick wrong in the end after our conversation last week, yeah. after, after I was hyping up the bills, I fell victim to looking at another report and getting it wrong. But I did, like I said last week, I I really thought if there was a time for the Bills to finally get a signature win, it was this one, and they did. And I think it's still more of, I don't know if if I'm just getting caught up in the mystique of the Steelers brand and Mike Tomlin. I, I don't think this is really an indictment on them yet because, again, for all the crap people gave the Steelers of all the weakest 11 and 0, look, even in that 11 and 0, they beat the Titans, who are a really good team. They blew out the Browns, who at the time people were like, oh, the Browns were a pretender anyway. Well, since then, look at the Browns. So let's go back and give them their due credit for that win. Mm-hmm. And the loss to Washington, I think everybody saw that coming. I think we both picked Washington in that game. 
because it was just a bad spot for them sandwiched between the Ravens and Bills on a Monday afternoon. And like, it it was just weird. And then you got to go on the road to Buffalo against a team that's really good and needs to start getting the respect they deserve. So I don't think it's really an indictment on the Steelers. I think it's just more of a, all right, the Bills deserve more respect than we've been giving them finally. Uh, and they showed it in every facet of the game. They had the pick six. They played well defensively. Josh Allen looked good again. Um, I mean, those are for real. It's, it's weird. To, it, it was such a bizarro world that the Bills won Sunday night primetime, and then the Browns hosted Monday night at 9-3 and three and had a chance to win. Like, I, will, I need Elias to go back and look to see if the Bills and Browns have ever been hosting primetime games in the same week because it probably hasn't happened. It's just so funny because the Steelers, everybody talked about how great their offensive line was, and now it might be their biggest issue. Yeah. I mean, they cannot run the ball at all. And I thought really it was by design, but it just it's the short passing game. That and, is their run game. I think that's what right. they're designed to. Like, that is their run game. Right. And uh, But, man, I mean, they just can't run at all. Now they got issues with Deontay Johnson and Eric Ebron, and guys can't catch the ball. The Steelers got real issues, and now that one seed's virtually gone. They got the Bengals this week, but then they're home against Indy and at Cleveland. So you'd have to think they're going to lose one of those games, if not both of them. Um not good for Pittsburgh. They've been hurt by the injuries. Devin Bush was huge early on in the year. And then that Bud Dupree one was, was really tough. Um, and now just the offense that was so good early on in the year really is losing its steam. Roethlisberger, who's so great early in the year, is, is kind of turning into the guy that people thought that, you know, maybe when the season goes on, is Ben going to hold up? And, uh, look, I'll never count out the Roethlisberger. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not ready to write them off because you think about – at any sport here, whether it's college basketball, you always talk about a team getting that loss before the tournament to get it out of the way, right? And yeah. you talk about peaking at the right time. If the Steelers are hitting their valley on the way down right now, they have a schedule in front of them that lines up nicely to get that momentum going back into the playoffs. They got to give me this week against Cincy where they could put up 50 if they want to. And that starts to get them back on the right path. Then they have a playoff caliber team in the Colts and a playoff caliber team in the Browns. If they all of a sudden blow out the Bengals, play well against a playoff team, play well against a playoff team, as far down as their arrow has been pointing the last two weeks, maybe they've hit bottom and their schedule lines up for a nice rebound here going into the playoffs and peaking at the right time. So I'm absolutely not willing to write them off. Now, if they come out Monday night and they beat the Bengals like 23-17 in a struggle against that putrid team, and then they come out the following week and lose to Indy and then lose or play poorly against the Browns. Now I think it's safe to write them off and say that they might be a candidate for a first round exit, depending on who they play. But it, it could go one of two ways here. They're at, they're at a fork in the road. They're either at bottom and going to rebound or it's just going to keep getting lower and forget about them. You know what's really hurt the Steelers this year? They haven't had a bye week. Their bye yep. week was supposed to be Tennessee, and then they practiced all week, and that got canceled late. And then, obviously, they were supposed to have the Thanksgiving game and then have a nice little break and just everything. Which is so- why I think you're going to see it's – I've been curious to see how things might go now without that second bye week. Will a team who's going to be either the two or three seed, who maybe doesn't really care who their opponent is, whether it's the – seven or the six will they treat week 17 as that quote-unquote playoff bye yeah not practice that week not play anybody 
if the Steelers don't care about who their opponent is, if they beat the Bengals and if they beat the Colts and they're a team that's sitting there at 13 and two, that who will either be the two seed or the three seed, depending on what the bills do these next couple of weeks, if they're not going to be locked into the two, they should treat week 17 as their bye week. They it's haven't had one all yeah, season. They've already long. Pushed, yeah, it's a good point. They haven't had one all season long and they aren't going to have one in the playoffs. Cause it's going to be the chiefs week 17 treated as your bye. That could be huge for them. Really good point. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with the Steelers moving forward, but I think not having a bye weeks killed them. Joe, I got a little surprise for you as we're getting ready Whoa. to talk Browns and Ravens. Um, you know, How's it going? Worm, it was funny because Joe wanted to talk a little NBA preview on the pod first you segment. You me out of it, I guess this is why. And uh, I'm like, no, we got to talk Ravens-Browns. <laughs> I mean, after a game like that. The game no of the way. year. How can you not lead with that? It was the game of the year. It was probably the best game we've seen since the Chiefs-Rams uh, Monday night game from a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, I saw Skip Bayless said on his show that it was the best game in a decade, which I think is t- going too far, That's obviously. Far, yeah. but, it's, it's gone a little far. But certainly, I, it, it's the first game I can remember, at least since that Monday night game, Rams-Chiefs, that was the consensus. Everybody said immediately. Game of the year. Usually, you might see it one or two places. Literally, every next day podcast, the first headline was, game of the year and yeah. that was that was a lot of fun to watch last year if you remember last year there was like a few of them there was like the seahawks niners overtime game mm-hmm. then there was a seahawks niners game at the end of the year with a stop yeah. at the one and like there was a couple others throughout the year where it was like all right there's really no clear-cut game of the year it just kind of is what it is but this one absolutely hands down game well, of the with year the, with the pooping and the cramping there was i like, sorely i mean yeah, there I was said, literally so, we're just I jumping said, into that right off the bat that's the first first thing we're well, talking i'm about. adding i'm adding to why the game I was tweeted so that bananas out. yeah i tweeted that out uh, after the game i was like this game checked every box we had 89 combined points we had a 14 point comeback in the fourth quarter lamar left to poop came back to throw a touchdown on fourth down on his first play back on the field everything justin tucker goat game winning field goal game at everything every great game needs a good conspiracy and i don't know if you guys saw what i tweeted but i haven't seen it anywhere else yet my hot take is that or it's not really a hot take it's more of a um, my conspiracy theory is that he did both i think he had to go <laughs> in for cramps and while he was in there he happened to say you know what like i actually now that i'm here i need to use the facility <laughs> it, it, it honestly could know. be when he was walking to the bathroom he had the duty walk going like yeah, we all have did. been there that, you know what that I'm could also be that could also be you're walking on cleats that could be like a slick metal he's trying to keep his balance like look, where that didn't the, look like no slick cleats the, the, i mean the biggest knock against the, the pooping theory is the amount of time he was there i mean yeah right like, what exactly. hell spot did this poop come from <laughs> that he had to be in there for 40 minutes that's why i don't believe for a second that's all he was doing i well, i trust implicitly he was getting cramps i just think pro he football doc on twitter said it he threw cold water (laughs) on the whole thing he threw cold water on the whole thing he said look he showed a picture where he had the bandage on his arm for the iv he said he even lamar after the afterwards i think it was today or yesterday i forgot where i saw the alert if it was this morning or yesterday i'm losing track but he said that he thinks it could still be a post-covid symptom where he was dehydrated and cramping like there's there are certainly explanations for it but we're sticking to he had to go poop because it's the fun one (laughs) It's like so the Michael Jordan flu game. Like, so Yo, look, you've been you've been critical of Lamar. You say that he doesn't perform well in the big games. You said that the Ravens Absolutely. haven't looked good against good teams. So, what were your thoughts on Monday night? 
My thoughts on that game were exactly the same. Lamar, <laughs> Lamar on back-to-back plays missed Willie Sneed wide open and Mark Andrews wide open, and he killed it on but, the ground. He, but he said, if you believe the cramping, he said his arm was cramping, and it started with those throws, which is why he missed them. Okay, and then afterwards he came back, and most of what he had to do was with his legs and then the wide open one to Hollywood Brown for the touchdown. So, like, it, again, we'll never know because of the cramp, I guess, the, the possibility <laughs> of it. But yesterday is, like, the same thing that if I were a Ravens fan – I, it's the double-edged sword of it because on one hand, he's going to have you a game like that where he just does ridiculous things and he's a video game cheat code. And on the other hand, in a big game, in a big moment, when he's forced to throw the ball like he has been against the Chiefs in the past and like he has against the Titans, he's going to miss wide open guys that just make you throw your head into a wall. But then also he will have a play where he drops it in the bucket like he did, was it last week against Against the Cowboys, that Hollywood. Cowboys, yes. That was a perfect pass. Like, he's going to have that Andrews overthrow and Snead overthrow, but then he's going to drop it in a bucket, and then he's going to run for 100 yards. Like, it's a double-edged sword, and it's just a matter of will you get cheat code Lamar, who is pinpoint on a certain Sunday in January, or will you get the other Lamar on a certain Sunday in January? Well, I I will say – Or will you get both in the same game, but the wrong one at the wrong time? You guys know that I love the very stats-heavy arguments. That's what we always, you know, I'm the numbers guy, the war guy in baseball, all that stuff. Just from a pure narrative, anecdotal standpoint, I think it's really dangerous for the rest of the NFL to see Lamar and the Ravens having fun again. Because yes. you know, it, most of this season, you could tell there was a bit of a hangover from the Titans' loss of they were still playing really well in those first early games before they played the Chiefs, but it didn't look like they were as excited as loose as cut back as they were all of 2019 and more so than I think any other player in football Lamar needs to be having fun to be Mm -hmm. that extra special guy he's not Mahomes we can obviously stop with with the the offseason debate was Lamar Mahomes who'd rather have that conversation is done but I think he can still be the next best guy in all football when he is having fun like this and we have seen that the last two weeks since he's come back which is kind of crazy because he does seem, at least after the Cowboys game, he said he was more tired than he'd ever been. Yeah. He's still sort of feeling the after effects of COVID. But if he's having fun now and still getting back into football shape, like you can look out in January. Every year there's a team that you could kind of point to in both conferences and say no one wants to see them in the playoffs. Yeah. In the NFC, it's up for debate. The Washington football team with their defense could be up for debate. I say no. I say it's their probably, offense doesn't scare anybody. Yeah, the offense doesn't yeah. scare you. But in the AFC, it's clearly the Ravens. They are the team 100%. that you don't want to see. Right. And, like everybody right now is a Dolphins, Colts, yes, Browns fan. One hundred percent. Because they don't want to see it. I also wanted to have Worm on because I wanted to talk to him about Greg Roman and why he has been so <laughs> awful this season and why Monday night was the perfect evidence for my point all season long. Worm, as I'm sure you know, Lamar has four of the top eight QBR games. Of oh, all. I know. You know that the common theme with all four of those games is that he's had 20 or less pass attempts. 20 yeah. or less. You know what that means is that they're running the football. That means Lamar's running the football. That means they're not throwing the football. This idea that the Ravens need to become an elite passing team to hang with the Chiefs or the Bills or the Packers or whoever, I think is some of the biggest BS that the media has stirred up. The Ravens scored 40 points. Lamar had 11 pass attempts with two minutes to go in that game. The the touchdown to Hollywood was 12. And then he had five leading to the Tucker field goal. He had Andrews three times. He had Snead. And then he had the spike. He had 11 pass attempts 
with two minutes to go in that game, and they had 40 points on the board. Why? Because they're running the ball. Everything runs through Lamar running the ball. That's why this season when Greg Roman's trying to experiment and he's trying to get the pass game going and he's throwing the ball and he's doing all these bootlegs. It's just, it's not who we are. We're an explosive offense more when we run the ball than we are when we throw the ball. It's just the way it is. And when we're running the ball and when Lamar knows that he's the best player on the field, and he's making everybody look silly, it calms him down as a passer because he knows that he can get himself out of every situation. That's what you saw on Monday night. So that's why this idea that the Ravens need to develop, does Lamar need to develop as a passer? Absolutely. Do the Ravens need better receiving weapons? I mean, Hollywood Brown, like, come on. (laughs) So they need, but everything runs through Lamar running the ball. It just does. And the fact that he, they, they don't run him more Lamar has proven that he can protect himself. He Mm -hmm. takes one shot maybe every game, but for the most part, I mean, he protects himself pretty well. I thought the best thing that he did on Monday night, and Worm, you know this, you've been watching every Ravens game all season. Lamar this season too many times when he's escaped pressure, he's tried to throw the ball and look for the Mm -hmm. big play. Against Cleveland, he was running the ball. Sometimes it was four or five yards and sliding. Sometimes he got down the sideline 14, 15 yards. Him doing that six or seven times the whole game set up the Hollywood touchdown because when he escaped, the corner had to think, oh, is he going to run? And by that time, it was too late, and he set it up. So with Lamar running, it sets up everything. And Greg Roman just trying to throw. When the Ravens ran the ball for 200 yards in the first half and Greg Roman comes out first play in the second half and throws a pass (laughs) – what are you doing? It almost got intercepted. Run the ball. I love that he's keeping Ingram on the sidelines. Dobbins and Gus are so clear and obvious. The two best. You saw the two best running back tandems on Monday night. Chubb Hunt, Gus, and Dobbins. But far and away, the two best tandem backs. And they were great. So I just think everything runs through Lamar running. And the Ravens offense is more explosive when he's running and they're running. I, I think you are definitely right about what you just said. And I really like that nugget about Lamar's, those four top QBAR games coming, you know, when he's not throwing the ball that much. That's a great nugget. But I think that you're conflating what they're doing against the good teams with what they're doing against the dregs of the NFL. A lot of those early games- And that's that my they, argument. They were throwing the ball a lot was, you know, it was against the Bengals. It was against the Washington football team. It was against the Texans whose defense stinks. It was against the Browns who we didn't know how good they were going to be in week one. Throw out that Chiefs game in week three because, again, Lamar is not on that level, and the Chiefs are specifically suited to to beat the Ravens with the way Patrick Mahomes is against the Blitz, all that stuff. Throw out that game. The rest of their early season schedule was kind of a joke, and if you admit that Lamar needs to develop as a passer, which I think we all agree on, then that was the right time to try and experiment with, you know, we're going to beat these teams by two touchdowns anyways. Let's see how Lamar can do throwing the ball better. Let's see how he can do in a two-minute offense type scenario. So I had no problem with any of that. It was when the schedule got more difficult, we got into November, and there was that stretch that was like Steelers, Colts, Titans, Steelers, Patriots, in in some order. That's when, okay, maybe get back to your bread and butter. But that also happened to coincide with all this, you know, the huge COVID outbreak. And they had lost Ronnie Stanley, which meant they are now down two of the five best offensive linemen in the league that they had last season. It, it was the, the uh, monsoon game against New England. It was all these other things. And they were still close in a lot of these games. I mean, the Titans game, they did not play well, especially in that second half. 
and they still took a really good team to overtime. The Steelers game, they lost Stanley in the middle of that. They, again, did not play well in the second half at all. And they, I'm talking about the first Steelers game, and they had a chance to, to win it on the final play. These were games, and, and you and I, all three of us have talked about this ad nauseum over text, but <laughs> one score games in the NFL, really close games across all professional sports. It's about the only statistical truth we know across all athletics is that close games, which in the NFL I would define as one score games, are inherently fluky. And you cannot look at like a sample size of four games and say, oh, Lamar is one in three this season in one score games. He can't win when it's close late. That's just not true. He has a 10 and six record in his career in one score games. He can win when it's close. He doesn't need it to be easy to do really well in the NFL. He just needs to be having fun and have a diversified game. I think if he's just running, it would be just as bad as when they just throw it. They need to mix it up. And the other thing I want to say about Roman, I see a lot of critiques on Twitter that he is, his play design is off. I totally disagree with that. I don't really trust any casual fan that's not watching the All-22, that doesn't know what routes are supposed to be run on any given play, to say, oh, his route tree isn't creative enough. His schemes are too vanilla. I think the play calling is a totally different conversation you can have, but I think the actual play design is totally fine. He didn't just forget how to design plays in the offseason. I mean, he was the offensive you know, assistant coach in the entire NFL last season. Everybody was talking about him as a head coaching candidate. He didn't just forget how to do all that. I agree 100%. It's, it, there's parts to both sides of this where I agree that with what you're saying that they needed to try that. And I disagree with what PJ was saying that they don't need that part of their game and their repertoire. They need to become, in some capacity, a team that can throw the ball because we've seen it that if they don't have that in their game, probably seven or eight times out of 10, they're losing against the Chiefs and mm-hmm. teams of that caliber. Well, they need and to yes. do it, but I'm saying that running sets all that. Lamar, with a minute left to go in the game, was phenomenal. Yeah, because- but there's, there's just so many fl- – I agree with what we're saying, that they had to do that in the games against lesser teams because especially once you get to the playoffs, like if you don't score first, we've seen what happens when the Ravens don't score first and Roman just becomes unglued and just starts calling a totally different game. So you, you are putting all of your – uh, hope in the fact that against these better teams, they score first and never face a deficit. They didn't score first against Cleveland. That's my whole point. And they didn't. But Cleveland's they didn't not the Chiefs. They're a good team, though. They're not the Chiefs, but they're a good team. Yeah, they're not in two in games not against the Ravens this season. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I mean, here, here's the thing. I, I really, really don't want to focus any conversation about Lamar and the Ravens on the Chiefs because, again, they are just on such a different stratosphere. Of like, course. Yes, the Ravens have a Chiefs I say the problem, Chiefs, so but the even, rest of the NFL. I say the, the Chiefs, Ravens, but, but the same thing goes for the Bills or, I mean, I guess. I mean, the Ravens beat the Bills by a touchdown in Buffalo last year. Last, I, I, last year. But I'm saying, if, here's what this, I'm saying. Year's, this year's iteration of the Bills, if you get into the playoffs and they play the Bills, even the Colts, who we saw them play once this year, if they go into those games and they go down 10 points, do you see them coming back? I, th- I think they would you have the, the confidence Ravens, in them throwing the ball and coming back. I think depends Ravens, on how much time's left. Y- okay. y- yes, that I also think the Ravens can obviously lose in the first round of the playoffs to anybody. The Titans, they yes, this year. but I-, I wouldn't be scared of any team in the AFC besides Kansas City. If, if I'm not saying scared me, of them, I'm not saying scared. Their saying, first game was against Pittsburgh or Buffalo. No, 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 or, I'm, I'm not saying like, being scared of them. I'm confident. just I'm just saying as far as what PJ was saying, not being scared of them. I'm just saying without these experiments, like you're saying, mm-hmm. and I agree with you about, of trying to become not a passing team, but have that in their tool belt, 
any of these teams, Titans, Colts, Chiefs, um, any of them, Bills, even the Steelers, if you go into a game and you're trailing by 10 at the half, you will have to become a passing team in the second half to some regard. So it's just, I 100% agree with you, Worm, that they are, he's totally right to be trying this Roman because you, when it comes down to crunch time like that, and again, the Chargers game was different a couple of years ago because Lamar only had a few games under his belt, and the Titans game is a one-game sample size. I, I get that. But going forward, any of these teams, if you are down by 7 to 10 points or so in the third quarter, you have to flip that switch and be able to throw the ball. So I agree with you that they, the experiments are needed. It's just a matter of now seeing how it all plays out as we get into December and January. And also with that experimenting, they are still, they're not as run heavy as they were in 2019, but they are still among the most run heavy teams in of football. Course. It's not like they've, they pull it in early season Seahawks and completely switch their entire offensive philosophy. They are still a, a ground and pound team at their core. They are just like, like we keep saying, experimenting, trying to develop. I mean, we talked all last season. I'm glad you, you mentioned the playoffs of it all, because that's sort of the, the elephant that's been in this room you know, the entire season last year at, when they lost to the Titans in January, everybody said, well, they had it too easy in the regular season because everything came easy. They didn't actually try to develop any other part of their game. And then they didn't have a plan B. They should have faced more adversity. You know, you'd hope they'd face more adversity. Now they are facing that adversity in 2020 and people are acting like the sky is falling. I think it will help them in January. I, I really do. And, and I, I know they're not in the playoffs right now, but they're certainly going to make it with that final schedule. The one thing that these, this team does do better than anybody is beat the pants off of teams that they're better than. So I, I have no doubt they're going to win out and, and finish 11-5 and, and they're going to make the postseason. And I don't know that they're going to win their first game because any one game sample size is fluky, but, but I certainly have faith in them. And I, the fact that he lost to the Titans last year and the Chargers the year before, the fact that he hasn't thrown the ball as well as we would have hoped, doesn't make me think they're they're not going to win. No, good. And I'm not saying it doesn't mean you should go into the game thinking they're going to lose. I'm just saying it's still important because come January, if you were down 10 at the half, it's not going to look good yeah. if, if they have to get into that and, mode. And I think that's fair. And, and PJ, I mean, you, you talked about how Lamar, when he's rolling out, you know, in this game against the Browns would take off. How scared were you when he threw on that fourth and five? I mean, as soon as he, <laughs> right. he had so much he'll... room, and I was terrified. I will Well, admit. everybody was open. Dobbins <laughs> was open in the flat. Sneed was open across yeah. the field. I was terrified, too. I'm like, why are you throwing? Oh, Hollywood's open. <laughs> so last thing I'll say about the game, the most encouraging thing to me is that the book on Lamar is familiarity, and the more teams see him, the more they stop him. The Browns have seen him more than any other team. So the yeah. fact that this was the fifth time they've seen him and he played like that, <laughs> I thought was very encouraging, but uh, Worm, thanks for your time. Thanks for uh, wait, 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 joining wait. us. But before we move onward from this conversation, have you seen when, it? When I found out when PJ texted me yesterday that he wanted me to come on the show, I watched Onward last night. Awesome. Wow. Did you think? What did you think of it? Just for you guys, I did not think it was a top five Pixar movie, but that is. 100% just because of the high quality of other Pixar movies. It is not a knock on Onward. I thought it was fun. I, I generally don't like the stunt casting of getting the big celebrity name, like sort of the trolls effect where it's like, I don't, I don't like when your trailer isn't the story. It's look at all these celebrities we have in the, in the recording booth. Having said that, I thought the very famous stunt casted voice talent in Onward was terrific. I actually think Chris Pratt 
might be the best working voice actor today after this and Lego movie. He is hysterical. <laughs> I thought it was a really fun movie. Sweet, heartwarming, obviously all the stuff that Pixar usually does well. Um, so I was, I was impressed. Definitely not top five, but probably right in that 10 to 12 range, which again, is not a knock on it at all, but just totally speaks to the greatness. And of we've got a week to see the next one. Soul comes out on Disney+. Plus. Um, I promise I will not wait like eight months to see that one. Rob Carlin coming up next. Ryan warmly joins us, Worm. Thanks a lot. Good seeing you. Pleased to be joined this week by our good friend, TV personality, Rob Carlin. Rob, thanks for taking some time and joining us. How's everything going? Everything is pretty good. We've got a little snow coming down. My kids are happy. Um, I'm not so much. It really is funny. My wife and I were saying, like, this is the difference when you see the pure joy that your kids take in a snow day compared to yourself when you're like, oh, this is going to suck. I have to, like, you know, clean off my car and all the inconveniences. But now I'm on the other side of it. As I'm getting so older, true. I like the whole thing. And look, your kids, you might get this. It's it's like in SpongeBob, how SpongeBob views things versus how Squidward views things. You're SpongeBob as a kid, you're Squidward as an adult. And that's 100% true. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. So we walked out to like walk the dog. It was me and my two daughters. And I was like, this sucks. I want to move to Florida. And they were both like, what? No way. I love the snow. I was like, no, nah, this sucks, girls. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. If you get older, you know, you look at the snow and you're like, I've got to shovel this off. Right. And, uh, yeah. It's right. My painful. blood starts thinning. <laughs> like, I, I just wanted to know if I was, I was shivering. I was so cold. Yeah. It's, I'm not, it's not me anymore. Right. Um, now, these days, you're doing pre and post game shows for your alma mater, the University of Maryland, doing a little Terps hoops, a little Terps football. Before we get into football, Rob, I want to ask you a couple hoops questions. Past rough couple games for the Terps against Clemson and Rutgers. Is it possible that when we looked at this season and we knew Sticks and Cowan would be gone, that we underestimated just how big of a loss they would be? Because you look at the Terps offense right now and they're just struggling at finding a dude that can get them instant offense. I, I Right there, that last thing you said is they have trouble finding a dude. Like, they just don't have a dude at all. And especially when you watch that Rutgers game, and Ron Harper is a dude. Right. He is a nasty dude that will block your shot on one end and then either hit a three or, you know, drive through the traffic and, and hit a tough shot. And Maryland doesn't have that. And I feel like every year for the last however number of years, because even Cowan um, wasn't that guy. He was great because he was a leader and had kind of developed over the time and you trusted him in a big moment, but he wasn't a guy who was going to create his own shot and make things happen. His was sort of in the run of the game and sticks probably could have, but that just sort of wasn't his role on the team. And, you know, I think the Mark Turgeon blueprint is where anyone and everyone could do something at any given time, instead of sort of allowing guys to be their creative selves. And, um, like, I think Dante Scott could be that guy if he's given the freedom to be that guy. Like, I, I just don't know that a Mark Turgeon offense. And I'm a Turge guy. I've defended him over the years. Like, there is there is something to winning 23 games a year. He's come short, comes up short in the tournament. And there are some coaching decisions you don't love. But you know what? He runs a clean program, brings some pretty good recruiting classes, and wins a lot of games. But there is a point where I go, you got to let one of these guys just take over. 
And um, and they certainly don't have it right now because it's back-to-back games. Every year, I feel like I fall in love with them early <laughs> yeah. and they beat up on some bad teams. I'm like, man, they're good. Like football. And then you kind see their like flaws. Yeah, yeah. yeah, this is sort of the black cloud that right. just sort of floats over Maryland right. at times. And I was going to actually ask you about Dante next because last year was my senior year there, my last year, and Scott was coming in as a freshman, and I was like, I like this dude. He's that Philly-type guy where he's just going to come in, play some hard-nosed basketball, and – um, Hakeem Hart as well looked for one game like he could be that guy that emerges, but Scott more so. Scott last year showed more flashes. This year has shown more flashes. He looks like that four-year guy where he's not going to leave for the lottery or anything. He's going to be there for four years. Just give him the reins, and, and if they do that, what do you think he can become? Oh, he's a badass. Like he's just, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's, he is absolutely a badass, and I think that the more you give that kid – there was a play – um, against Rutgers where he got the ball on the block, maybe even like come from underneath the basket and just kind of like calmly turned and banked one in. It's a, a basket lost and an ugly loss. But the, the, the fact that last year he would have tried to do something too fast with the ball this year, he just kind of stopped, gathered himself, fell back and just hit a nice little shot off glass. And I was like, see, that's a kid who's a scorer. He just understands how to use his body, how to get a little spacing and then shoot a nice soft touch off, off the board. And I I just look at him and I go, he's gonna, you know, he's not like the most athletic guy, but he'll out rebound guys. He'll, he's able to get through traffic. I, I think he's as close to what they have and almost run an offense through him. But I used to say that when Bruno Fernando was there too, like, why don't they run the whole offense through Bruno? He's, he was good enough of a passer and he was such a, like he, he played such an angry game. And then last year I would have liked to have seen it more through sticks. Again, this goes back to Turgeon's philosophy of they're going to pass the ball around a lot and try and make it a five man game. And it, I just don't know that in the way guys play today, if that's the best philosophy with these guys, but I, I love Dante Scott. Now I agree. I think he's a four year player who's going to get better and better and better every single year. And on that note, Wiggins is a guy that I think people have been waiting to take that step and he just hasn't done it. He doesn't seem to have that killer instinct that Dante has, even though he has that wealth of talent and athleticism. Uh, what have you seen in the first few games? Is he just gun shy? Is he just not taking that step? What, what is, is it mental? What is it with him right now? I don't know. Someone hit me up on Twitter and was like, is, is, is he just not as good as we thought? Or is he just struggling? And I was like, I don't know. I'm not sure anymore. Like, he misses a lot of wide open jumpers. And I thought that stroke, I mean, it's the prettiest looking shot. Yeah. He just doesn't hit him. And I don't. So then you go, I don't know, maybe he's not the player I thought he was going to be. And Chick and I, Chick Hernandez and I did a an interview with the coaches before the season began. This was supposed to be on one of our football, you know, pregame shows, which by the way, just a hats off to the Maryland uh, entire team there. Cause when chick and I came on, you know, we're, we're doing TV basically for a crew that does not do TV traditionally, their shows were so good. I said, I'd put them up against anything I've ever done in my career. They were really good, talented guys over at Maryland who did a really nice job, but we did an interview as the two of us with Turgeon and Brenda freeze. And I, I asked, Turge, I said, you know, is this the year Wiggins finally becomes that guy? 
And he kind of downplayed it like, well, you know, everyone keeps asking about that. He was a top 60 guy. He's really come along. He's a better dribbler. He's a better passer. He's better on defense. And I like the defense. I like his passing. I don't think he's a good dribbler. I don't think he's capable of creating his own shot. And if he's not going to knock down the wide open threes, well, then I'm, I'm not saying take him out of the line, right? but I'm just saying, well, what is he exactly? Is he just a guy who's going to get you eight to 10 points and knock down 31% of his shots? I mean, that he's still good, but maybe he's not the guy we thought he was. Maybe, maybe he will be at the end of a four-year career, but the fact that all I ever hear is the NBA is in love with this kid, I, I just don't see that yet. I think there was a lot of comparisons to Herder, and he hasn't quite taken that Herder step uh, per se, but, uh, but even Herder was never allowed to be Herder in college. You know, exactly. like that. he's yeah. a good NBA player that was never allowed to be that. I used to say the same thing with him. Like you should, that kid should be in control of the ball at all times. That was next level talent. And they never let him be himself either. So I hundred percent agree a, with you. Yeah. It's about, a common thing. I hundred percent agree with you about Turgeon. It's great recruiting. It's a clean program. He wins games. It's just those little things here or there, like you're saying, as far as letting a guy be a guy that just get in the way. And PJ agrees with this too. I mean, we've had plenty of discussions about this where he's fine. It's just, it, there's just something about it that's missing. I love the guy, but it's just And when, and when you say discussions, do you really mean like yelling at each other about how angry it makes you? Because Sometimes. That's like, yeah, like that's how I would always have my Maryland discussions. Like, I don't get it. Why do they not? Like how he gets so angry. That, I, you know, discussion. Like, I didn't say civil discussion. I said right, discussion. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like right. dudes like Carson Edwards, Miles Powell, I don't think they could ever be those players in Turgis. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so I just, I don't know if Wiggins could be that level, but it would at least be nice to see if he could, because like you said, the but Wiggins doesn't hit, the, but Wiggins gets the shots. He's not hitting the shots. Yeah. Like I, I look at Dante Scott and I say that kid should be shooting as much as he wants to in a game. Because he's hitting the shots. Yeah. Ayala, I think, needs to shoot more. Wiggins gets open shots. He's not knocking them down and has not consistently since the day he walked on campus. And to me, that's the most frustrating part. Because, again, if there's, if there's a better-looking shot on the team, you're, if you're going to tell me there is, you're wrong. I mean, he's got the sweetest-looking shot. He's just not hit, he just doesn't hit him with consistency. Right. It's a lot of it's a lot of questions, tough to interpret, and that kind of also applies to the football team this season. Switching over gears now to Maryland football, all right, they're two and three. They've got this extra game now against Michigan State. They could finish five hundred. Their year had wins over Penn State and Minnesota, where they were twenty point dogs. But looking back on it now, like they shouldn't have been twenty point dogs. <laughs> so it's just like a really weird year to conceptualize. Looking back on it now, how do you evaluate this season? And how big is it to get to three and three as a building block for Locke as he continues a killer recruiting class as we've seen more today with Brandon Jennings? Yeah, that was huge getting that kid to flip. I, did you watch the Instagram? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was like, come on. He's like, we're a little <laughs> delayed. I'm like, let's get to it, man. Let's get to it. Um, yeah, I think it's very big to get to three and three. I think it's very big to play a smart game. Uh, that, rec- that Rutgers game was, you know, just total self-destruction all those penalties. Um, I, I think that, um, look, you have a quarterback, right? You know, you have a quarterback. We haven't said that. I mean, ha- have you guys seen that in your life? No, I mean, I worked for the team for four years. Rob, I've seen nothing but middle linebackers play quarterback. Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, like the uh, fact that, you know, you could look at them and go, all right, they've got a quarterback for the future. 
The um, closest thing I had to that in my four years working for the team was my sophomore year when we had Kasim for a couple games. I'm sorry, Piggy for a couple games, Kasim for a couple games. And after four games, they both tore their ACLs. And right. that was the end of that. Right. And you thought Kasim was pretty good. Like, uh, Talia is good. There's yeah, no really doubt about good. it. Really yeah, good. he's really good. And he's only going to get better. I mean, you know, Locks keeps saying every week, the only way for a young team to get better is to play. And unfortunately, like every team, they just haven't had the regularity to play this year. But you could see the progression that this kid makes. And it's not a secret why they look so good when he's playing well and they look so bad when he's not. But so, you know, check the box that they have a quarterback. Now, I also think that Lance Lejeune is going to be in the transfer portal. Yes. Like the fact that I haven't seen it yet is shocking to me because <laughs> he's, he's sort of like Wiggins. Is he just not as good as we thought he was going to be when they flipped him? Like maybe, I, you know, like I haven't seen enough, but the fact that they put in a, a walk-on from DeMatha over him in that Rutgers game tells you a lot and he about he killed it, by the way. In the yeah, he's pretty good. Yeah, he's pretty good. Like, you know, he definitely didn't put them in a position to lose the game. He kept them yeah. in the game. Um, so, uh, so that's important. And I, I just think like you start looking around the field at just some of the kids that are on Nick cross was really, really good. Tarheep still really, really good. This recruiting class is like 14 guys on the defensive line. Like and it could get better on January 2nd as well with Terrence Lewis between Maryland and Tennessee and looking Correct. at Tennessee. I don't know why you would pick Tennessee right I don't now. Know why you would like pick Tennessee. A whole other can of worms. <laughs> well, yeah, there's, there's a bag man that comes from Tennessee. That's why you pick Tennessee. <laughs> someone who comes and drops off a bag, but the, and, and I say that having worked in the South and covering sec football, I know what goes on down there, but it's, yeah. I, um, I, I look at some of the players and I go, okay, there's, there's more high-end talent right now at Maryland than I've seen in a long time. And you start thinking about, you know, each of these classes starting to pile up because in fairness to locks. And I, you know, I think there's probably still some questions about his actual coaching, but in fairness to him, you got to give him now three, four years of recruiting cycles to get through to say, okay, now these, now he's recruiting all of rather he's coaching all of the kids that he's brought in now. And, you know, I always say this, you know, Joe Torrey was a lousy manager when he managed the Braves and the Mets. He was a genius when he got to the Yankees with like nine hall of famers. You're a better coach when you're coaching better players. And, you know, you're seeing that now with Bill Belichick, you know, when, when he doesn't have the team, Oh, okay. It's harder to be a great coach. So I think you got to give locks three or four years to get all these kids in you know, if he stacks a couple of top 15 recruiting classes back to back and kind of, you know, explode upon or certainly build upon, you know, what uh, what DJ Durkin had started. And as, as bad as that all ended, Durkin brought in some good classes. It, it all, you know, blew up in his face. Yeah. But, um, you know, if they continue that momentum, now you're going, okay, let's see how good this team could. They need to get another quarterback, though. I mean, it's pretty desperate to you don't want to run into a situation like this where one guy gets hurt and you're, yeah. you know, you're going to a walk on, but there's a lot of talent. All That's hard. He still kid is really, really good. And so is chance Campbell. And I mean, like these right. guys all got snubbed today on the, I saw in the big 10 media and coaches uh, teams came out 
they were just honorable mentions. And uh, you look at some of the other people who are on it, but you know, it's tough for a team that has only played five games, of course, but a I lot agree. of teams. Rob, what should, what should the, uh, the expectations be like next year? Is it just making a bowl? Is it being that second team in the East below Ohio state? Is it beating Penn state again and beating Michigan? Like, what do you think should be the expectation for next season? Like measured progress. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't, uh, this recruiting class is going to be really good, but they are going to be young. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think if you see progress next year, if you, if you, like this next year provided, you know, knock on wood that everything gets back to somewhat of a normal life that, you know, that they have a winning season, that they have a quarterback who progresses where you look at him and go, okay, like week in and week out. Now he's good. That's you're not kind of going up and down with him. Um, you know, it'll be interesting. Like I'd be stunned if Jake Funk comes back, but like Jake Funk, I guess has the option to come back now. Right. If he wants to, because of the, the COVID. So like, I, you just look and go like Nick Cross is going to be so good next year. It's going to be crazy to watch how good that kid could be. Rakim Jarrett. Like I want to see him with a full year under his belt, a full yeah. camp under his belt. Like, and I want to see them get him the ball as much as humanly possible. Like, uh, you know, if he was that big a recruit that you flip from LSU, you should be running design plays to get him the ball as much as possible. So, you know, I, I'd also like to see Ja'Shawn Jones, who I love a kid with some uh, with with some attitude, but Ja'Shawn Jones got to chill out, man. Yeah. You can't be getting these, you know, 15-yard penalties yeah. that are backbreakers. So I think if you just like, you know, if you can get a seven-win season, that's a huge – this is going to have to be progress for Maryland. Like I, I don't right. want to get too excited too fast. I want to, I just want to see where every week you're in a game, you're not getting, that's, that's the thing. And and I think with the building of the offensive and defensive lines, I always say this a couple of years ago, I think this is when Durkin was there, maybe even been when locks, kind of filled in uh, when Edsa left. Um, but I remember going to, and Ohio State, um, this is when Cardell Jones was at Ohio State. I remember going to the Ohio State-Maryland game at our place, obviously, and we had, we had tickets right on the 20-yard line. It was my wife and I. And literally the first play of the game, opening kickoff, first play of the game, Ohio State comes out with the ball. And I looked down the line. I was like – and I looked at my wife. I said, they're going to they're gonna hang 60 on us. <laughs> and she goes, what are you talking about? The game hasn't been played. I was like – look at the size of all their guys. And then look at the size of all of our guys. It was unbelievable. It was looking at an offensive line full of 300 pounders and a defensive line of like three or four guys that weighed like 250. I was right. like, there's no way there's no way. And they hung 60 on us that day. Right. I was like, you, you can't compete in the big 10 with guys that undersized. So as he builds those two lines, like that's going to make a major difference where you're not going up against Ohio state and giving up 60. Penn state's not going to hang 50 on you in a game. Like you got to get to that point where you can hang with those guys. I'm not saying beat them every year, hang with them, you know, and then you hope for that magical season where you, you get a nine or 10 win season. I've always likened it to yeah. Iowa where Iowa there's seven, eight wins in a given year. And then there's that one year where they're like, they were a few years ago against Michigan where they had one loss and they upset them at home in the night game. And they were in the college football playoff talk. That's I think what Maryland could get to is that Iowa level. More exciting, hopefully, than Iowa's seven to three run the ball out games taking less than two hours. But 
that level nonetheless. And on that note, just looking across the college football landscape, it's finally championship week which is weird because there's other games that are not championship games going on. And, and last week, Army-Navy was not a standalone game. It's all weird. But uh, Florida's lost to LSU last week, somehow only dropped them one spot. Uh, they've got Bama this week. Do you think that they can somehow fathomably get in if they beat Bama, even though they're at two losses now? No. <laughs> I don't. Now, if the guy didn't throw the shoe, they might only have one loss still. But. I mean, what the hell was that? <laughs> this is the craziest thing. Like, I've never heard of such. That was such a stupid penalty at such a big moment. Um, I can't see. I can't see how Florida would get in. Right. I mean, still two losses. Um, you know, first off, I, I, I Florida's really good this year. Um, and they're sort of like back a little bit, like where you, like I, the beginning of the year, I was like, ah, I'm not buying into Florida. The more I watched them, the more I was like, damn, they're good. That's a really good, I don't know how they lost. Yeah. Their offense is legit. It's legit. That tight end is so freaking good and so fun to watch. Right. He's great. So I, um, I think they're legit. I don't think they're beating Alabama though. Like Alabama's stupid good again. Uh, Mac Jones is really good. So, like, you know, it's a great what-if question. I just don't think that's going to happen. So, I don't think we're going to have to worry about that at all. I, to me, it's crazy because the best game of championship week by far is the ACC, and usually it's just the Clemson Invitational. But uh, this year we got a real game, Clemson and Notre Dame. Do you, do you think that Notre Dame is in? I mean, unless they lose by four touchdowns, are they in? And then yes. um, Clemson, I mean, they obviously have to win to get it. Yeah, I, I mean, no, Notre Dame's in, you know, like you can just tell by the way the voting goes, right? I mean, they're, they're not going to, again, short of a 56 to 10 embarrassment, which I don't see that happening. Um, they want, yeah. if, they, if they felt like they were just going to put the teams that are quote unquote deserving, Cincinnati would have been closer. Of so, too. Yeah. Right. So, right. Right. Exactly. So, I just think that, you know, they're going to want, and I don't blame, you know, I don't get all upset about it because I'm usually of the belief if you put Cincinnati and Clemson on a field or Cincinnati and Notre Dame, Notre Dame is probably going to win eight out of 10 of those games. Right. So you want the best teams in the playoff, but that's not what the NCAA says. So they say one thing and do the other. If you're saying you're going to reward teams for winning all their games, well, then you need to put Coastal in the conversation or you need yeah. to put Cincinnati in the conversation. Or you're just going to say, it's going to be our choice for the four best teams that are going to make the best playoff, which they can't say because then, you just, then you're just admitting it's going to be Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, and some other team every single year. And on that so, note, they, they said they penalized Cincy by dropping them one spot each of the last two weeks for not playing since November 21st. Ohio State has only played once since then, and they haven't moved. So there's clearly a devil. They're not even hiding it anymore. Oh, not even hiding. Right. Are you in the camp of expansion, Rob? Like, do you want to see it go to eight, or do you like it at four, but you just want to truly see the committee give the little guy a fair shake? No, I'd like, I'd like an expansion. I've always been a fan of – I want a playoff. Yeah, I want a full playoff. I don't, yeah. I don't understand why – whatever, the F's – cs the uh, i don't understand why the fcs can do it exactly and the f and the whole like well the bowls and the experience 
I mean, come on, you know, like there are so many bowl games, like it, these kids get treated. No one, no one in a major college football program is not getting everything they can out of their experience there. So to say like, yes, would it suck that you don't get to go to some bowl game and get all, you know, like these gifts heaped upon you that somehow is okay during bowl week. Sure. I guess, but you can be part of, a college football playoff, which is probably going to be more memorable to them. Ask kids in the NCAA basketball tournament, which is better, you know, like exactly. a chance for coastal, like can you imagine if coastal went and played, I don't know, like Oklahoma or something, you know, in a crazy matchup and beat Oklahoma, yeah. that would be way bigger than some lame ass gift you got, <laughs> you know, from, and no offense here, but like, even just like the military bowl, here at, at Naval State, I'm in Annapolis. I've covered that before. I've been there before. It's on like December 28th. It's bone chillingly cold. It's two teams with no fan support here. Like you're telling me that that game is so important. These bowl games that get created out of nowhere are so important to the fabric of college football. It's better than a playoff. It's crazy. And that's I, the I'm part of the, fun. that's the part of the argument that I've never understood though, because if you, if you're expanding to like say eight, you're probably having that quarterfinal pretty soon after championship week. So you could still have all those teams that are seated or whoever the losers are say play in another bowl game after new year. So they could still play a bowl game. You just got to move right. it back two weeks. So, but again, it goes, you're to not, the, you're only gaining games. It goes to the money. Cause like, yeah. cause everyone's, you know, it's the mob and politics, man, follow the money. Like it's just always going to be like, well, I've already, Right. I've already promised that city the money, like, you know, the incoming money and you want to take care of your own. Like I, I just, to me, I, I think a college football playoff would be so spectacular. I mean, like, look, I'm a college sports junkie and a college football junkie. And I much prefer like some random late night, Saturday night whack game than most bowl games. Like, I'm just like, who, <laughs> Who honestly cares anymore when this seven and five team is playing that seven and five team in some ball at three o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday? Like, yeah. I, 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 no interest in that whatsoever. And I, like, I will watch anything. Like, you don't like Wyoming against Central Michigan, the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. At Rob hates the Cheese It Bowl. He hates it. Hey, yes, and like, and I love, I love, like, to me also, like, I'm one of those weird guys who like, I do love kind of these. I like watching games that a lot of other people aren't watching. Sometimes I just kind of enjoy like a smaller, um, whether it's basketball or football. And you know, like, I love watching like for basketball. Yeah, I love watching late night Nevada basketball. I love, I can't get enough of that stuff. But like at the end of the year, when there's nothing to come of it, the team's going to change next. Like, right. Why do I care when like, seven and five Minnesota is playing, you know, random, you know, seven and uh, six and six Arkansas in some lame ass bowl that you're like, why am I the independence bowl? Like, why am I watching this? To add to your point too. I mean, imagine if they expand it and instead of coastal Carolina going to the cheese bowl, they go to Norman and play Oklahoma. Right. I mean, it would be. So I'm, I'm watching that. You know what I'm not watching coastal Carolina 
on a Wednesday afternoon playing a bowl game that doesn't mean anything anymore. (laughs) And like, and like they've devalued all the bowl games anyway, by making the playoff. Right. So it used to be like, you know, I'm old enough to remember where you'd watch all the bowl games because winning a bowl game mattered. It meant something to the team. It meant something to the fan base. Now, none of these bowl games matter anymore anyway. So you've already devalued it by making a four team playoff, which you've now totally shut out any interest, like any like real upset fun interest. There's always going to be interest when Alabama is playing Clemson and Oklahoma is playing Notre Dame. Of course, there's going to be interest. But again, can you imagine the first weekend of the NCAA basketball tournament playing out in football? Like, you know, it would be crazy the numbers of that. And and I'm with you. Let, let other teams, let, I covered them for a long time in in Birmingham. Let UAB go play in a bowl game. That's great. Let them play in whatever bowl game they, they can get in, but let's make, let's, Let's make a playoff in college football. Now, now, real quick, an eight or sixteen team. I'd be open to a sixteen team playoff. Just expand yeah. it, period. Honestly, <laughs> but um, but real quick, it's been the same top four for four weeks. In all likelihood, it finishes that way. Um, so two parter. Do you think there's even a surprise this week? And assuming your answer to that is no, and we get the four teams that we expect, who's your pick to win it all? It's hard to pick against Alabama. They're so good, um, and they. You know, they're just a step above, but Trevor Lawrence is, you know, that dude is, I, I'm probably going to go with Alabama. If you're going to ask me who I think is going to win it all, I, I'm going to probably say Alabama. And I, I just think that this year on the field, I think they have more talent than anyone else at any given time. So I'll, I'll go with the talent because the talent usually wins out for me. I know I liked you, Rob. That's a great choice. <laughs> exactly. um, they, it's the best offense Saban's had. I, I truly feel the, the most balanced, at least. They're they're really good. Um, we have Joe. Wait, fo- wait, Joe. What's your so clearly PJ? You're with me. What Joe? What's your pick? Oh, I so before I went to Maryland, I also was a Bama fan, and it stems back to a random game I watched when they had Glenn Coffey at running back, and I was like seven years old, and I was like, "That's a cool name. I like Alabama." Um, I, I love I how defensive you. you are that you had to explain why. I'm yes, not just a bandwagon front runner. Everybody calls me a front runner. I have a specific <laughs> moment. I was in Hershey Park at the Bears' den eating dinner, and I saw it on TV. They upset Arkansas. I have a very specific game. Um, but, no, I agree 100%. I think Bama's the most talented team. The only thing I can see, like you said, is if Trevor Lawrence puts on the Superman cape and does it for Clemson. Other than that, it's it's Bama's title to lose. Yeah, it's funny. By the way, real quick, PJ, I uh, – I'm a Steelers. I grew up on Long Island, but I'm a huge Steelers fan. And every, my, my best friend at my wedding during his speech called me a front runner. And I was like, but I remember Super Bowl 13 was my first like football memory. I was seven years old. The Steelers won. They beat the Cowboys. I remember the logo on one side of the helmet. I thought black and gold looked amazing. And I've been, and I was a fan through the terrible eighties with lousy football teams. But whenever my buddy says that, I'm always like, I grew up a fan of the Islanders, the Mets. Like I'm a fan of Maryland. Like all I do is get kicked in the crotch over and over. I got one team, one team that's historically won. Right. And I have to listen to the front runner talk. Well, one team you did get to cover that won the Stanley Cup was the Caps. And Ugh. before we get into our two final segments, just wanted to ask you real quick. They obviously hired a new coach this offseason, Peter Lavaliette. Your thoughts on that? And then – Ovi Backstrom with them. How many more elite years do you think the Caps have left with them leading the way? 
and Rob, you're a TV professional. You see that countdown clock. We got to get it under the gun here. I see it. Don't worry. I have seen it the whole time. We're, we're, we're good. Um, the, I love the Laviolette hire because I think they've got about three re- more really good championship cup contending years. Yep. And that's about the length of how, of his stays in, in any place. Like he's going to get the best out of this team. I think that um, they were bad. They were, uh, I said on, uh, you know, I host my own podcast now, the Capitol Building Podcast. And I said a couple of weeks ago, like Chris Miller used to say this all the time. This is what Chris and I used to joke about in the newsroom when, when, a ba- when a team went bad. The milk went bad. Like something stunk with the Caps at the end of last year. It Maybe did. it was just Todd Reardon had lost the room. And I think he did in a big way. That was the guy they chose. And this core has burned through a lot of head coaches. But I will never, ever rule out a team with that much. Again, goes to talent. With that much talent, I think they're still a championship cup contender for the next couple of years. And in that picture behind me, you could see right there, that's me holding yeah. the cup the night they won it. Best night of my professional life. That's awesome. I won't be a part of it anymore, but I would love to see the Caps win another cup and, and for DC to have another you know, championship uh, um, parade like they have the last couple of years. Well, our two final segments are the Swift Seven. We'll give you seven rapid-fire questions, and then we always end with the trivia question for our guests, all right? Okay. So number one uh, is right along the same theme with the Caps. Yes or no, the Washington Capitals will win another cup with Alex Ovechkin. Yes. Favorite athlete growing up as a kid? Magic Johnson. More likely to repeat, the Kansas City Chiefs or the Lakers? Lakers. Favorite sports event, March Madness, Stanley Cup playoffs, Super Bowl, Masters? March Madness. All right. Stadium or venue you haven't been to but want to get to? Notre Dame. What the hell is it going to take to get John Carlson a Norris Trophy? (laughs) (laughs) Um, An unbiased media. (laughs) And last one, you can pick one of your teams to win a title, either Terps basketball, football, the Mets, or the Isles. Pick one and why. Holy moly. Um, the toughest one for last. <laughs> yeah. So I would probably say, oof. Uh, I mean, let's, let's go with Terps football winning a national. That's, that's the furthest one I think from actually happening. <laughs> and when they won the basketball national title, that was incredible. And I told all my friends, all of your alma mater should win championships. It's the best. So let's go with uh, Mike Loxley leading Maryland to a national championship. All right, love it. And along those, along those lines, you mentioned the 2002 trophy for terms of basketball. PJ cooked up a good question for you. 90 seconds on the clock or three strikes. PJ, and this is a mean one, but it was a good one. He wants you to run through the six teams that the Terps beat oh, no the national championship. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> no chance. My God, it's so long ago. Are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> Indiana. Yep. That was a big uh, one. Stanford was in there? No, not Stanford. Was Stanford the final four year? No. Mm-mm. Oh, I'm sorry. UConn. UConn, UConn was, was Elite Eight. Elite yep. Eight. Yeah, I'm sorry. I said Stanford. UConn was who I was, was who I was thinking. UConn was Elite Eight. Um, oh God. Final four. I was at the final they four. They played two blue bloods that you're missing. Uh, Kansas. On, they there's Kansas. one. Yep, Kansas. Kansas. And then another, another big one. Uh, the blue blood that they beat on the way. Oh my God. I should know this. My God. Uh, look, I, even there, those are my pictures up there from where I was at, at in Atlanta. That's Juan Dixon. 
I took that picture. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Two minutes after that, I ran out of film. This is before iPhones. I ran out of film, and Byron Mouton walked right up to me with the trophy oh. and the net around his neck. He was literally four feet in front of me, and I was looking at my disposable camera like, ah, ah. Oh, I got God. no more pictures. The worst, the worst. Oh, my God. You got 30 um, seconds left. You're raising the white flag, or are you keeping going? Uh, they beat Kentucky. They Kentucky. did. They did. They beat Kentucky. If, if you can get the first two yeah, rounds. Yeah, I figured the 16 seed would be would be the toughest. I didn't know if you'd get the round of 32 team. It's a Big Ten team. If that, if that helps you at all. I, I have no idea. <laughs> so they beat no... they beat Wisconsin in the round of 32. They beat Wisconsin. Okay. And, and then Siena in the. Uh, in the oh man god yeah. that's good that's a great question so did you know that or did you research it hadn't I, I knew kentucky yukon kansas indiana did not know wisconsin Siena. right 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 it, it, like i had to get the brain going back again right and then i remembered because they went through that murderer's row where you were like oh my god you know to get there they're gonna have to beat but yeah no i don't i don't know that i would have ever gotten like I remember, they um, if, played Gonzaga one year in right. in the tournament, uh, but I would have never gotten Seattle. If Indiana would have lost to Duke, do you think the Terps would have beaten Duke in the final? <laughs> There's no you way can't to ask so that. Hell yeah! So <laughs> hell yeah! They I ask my dad all the time, and he's like, "Hell no, they would have." So thank hell God, Indiana. Yeah, they. Hell yes, they would. I still haven't gotten over the Final Four from the year before. Uh, yeah, that one still hurts. And the, the um, oh God, what uh, Andy, um, who's the coach at USC now was the coach at uh, Florida Enfield, Andy Enfield. Andy Enfield yeah. yeah. So I know we're running out of time. I was working in Salisbury. A girl I knew had dated Andy Enfield and she was like, can you watch the Maryland Duke game with us this is the final four year um, because Andy's going to be here and he's basketball guys before he was coaching. And I was like, oh, I don't want to watch a Maryland Duke game with some guy who's <laughs> like a real bass. I'm a, I'm a lunatic. And I literally, I lost my mind. And the whole time he was looking at me, like, he's like, are you always like this? I was like, dude, I don't need your, sh like, I don't need this from you. Okay. This is the natty. Like, come on. It's, it's a really <laughs> tough day for me. I got, yeah. So I haven't gotten over that one. Right, but yes, Rob, they would have beaten Duke. Cause that F countdown Duke. clock, that countdown clock is the weird two broke just out of college kids who aren't paying for zoom premium. So we appreciate your 40 <laughs> minutes that we get under the time limit. We could run it back after the holidays when hockey hopefully gets started. We thank you for your time. Terps talk, hockey talk. Always love it when you're on. Miss you in the office and uh, hopefully Appreciate we can get that. together soon. Stay healthy, stay safe, and have a same happy to you guys. new year. Good to see yeah, you, Same Rob. to you guys. Thank Go you. Terps. Appreciate see you guys. Yep. Absolutely. Once again, that was Rob Carlin. He's doing some stuff for Maryland football and Maryland basketball. Also had Ryan Warmly on. Joe threw a little uh, curveball there yeah. at you. You handled it nicely. <laughs> um, all right, so we talked some college football playoff with Rob. We'll elaborate on that some more. One of my favorite weekends of the college football season is championship week and got some good matchups. Clemson, Notre Dame, definitely the highlight. Um, Iowa State. Oklahoma should be good. We'll see if Florida can give Bama a game. But Joe, I got to tell you, after Clemson-Notre Dame, the game I'm looking forward to the most is Coastal Carolina and Louisiana. I'll ask you, when the rankings came out on Tuesday, were you more disappointed that Coastal was still there at 12, or were you more disappointed that Florida only dropped one spot after that loss to LSU? I'm just disappointed in the rankings as a whole because, honestly, like, if you ever needed a year to show you, and, and people have finally been catching on and saying it, that this is really not a true playoff. It's an invitational. It's this year. I mean, you just go down 
the list of the rankings and it doesn't make any sense. I mean, if we're really rewarding people for playing games and winning the games in front of them, the rankings should not be what they are, period. Because you have Iowa State, who I have been on their bandwagon, and part of that is biased because I think Matt Campbell's going to be the next head coach of the Jets. Um, part of that is that I've been on them, but even so, two losses, you're sixth. You lost by two touchdowns at home to Louisiana, who Coastal beat, and Coastal's undefeated at 12. So it just, it just goes to show that it's not really a meritocracy. They hide behind the eye test, which I don't hate. I don't hate that because I do want the best teams in it. Yeah. That year when UCF was unbeaten, they weren't one of the four best teams, period. So that's why expansion is necessary if you want to make it a true playoff. Until then, it's an invitational where they're looking at the best teams and picking the they think of the four best teams. If you want a true playoff, and we'll get into our formats for it, you got to expand because there's nothing outside of the top four that makes sense here. Iowa right. State with two losses at six. Uh, Florida with two losses at seven. Georgia hasn't beaten a top 25 opponent this year. They have two losses and they're at eight ahead of undefeated Cincinnati. Oklahoma has two losses like Iowa state and their loss. One of their losses was to Iowa state. I would even argue that you could put Oklahoma ahead of Georgia. If we're talking about putting a two loss team in that, in, in that category, Indiana at 11, fine. Uh, undefeated coastal should be way higher. USC even, I know we've written off the Pac-12 all year long, but USC has looked impressive and they're undefeated playing for a Pac-12 title. And the Pac-12 season has been a lot quieter than any other league season. But Ohio State's 5-0 and playing for a conference title this week. USC's 5-0 and playing for a conference title this week. How is USC 13? So you could go on and on. I mean, uh, why is a, a three-loss UNC team ahead of still even a one-loss BYU I, there's a lot of questions to be had. Why is a three loss Texas still where they are with three loss Oklahoma state? Like it, there's just too many questions. And there's, I, I don't know that people after this year will have, I don't think they had much faith in the selection committee anyway. I think it's going to be even less so this year. And that's still with a week to go where who knows what they do with Ohio state, A&M, Iowa state, God forbid we get some sort of like, chaos scenario here where A&M loses to Tennessee, Clemson loses to Notre Dame, <laughs> Ohio State loses to Northwestern, and they've got this whole mess to sort through now. God forbid they put like a two-loss Georgia team in there somehow that they're lingering at number eight. Like, I, There's nothing that I would put past the committee at this point, and it just shows this, – this was probably – and you'd have to go back through all of them – but without looking back at every week for the last six years, you could probably make the case that this was the worst week the committee's ever had. Just so many questions up and down. So my two things are, I agree with you that at the end of the day, I want to get the four best teams in. And I think their top four are the four they best They are teams. the best four. But the reason I want expansion is because I want – there to be room for the committee to say these are the teams we think are the best but yeah. these teams resumes deserve absolutely to, and that's why i think they need to expand to eight also for all the people who are like it needs to stay at four because it keeps the regular season so important my argument to you is that if clinton not to you it's all the people who want to keep it four. is that if clemson loses to notre dame we're talking about 
three or four different teams to take their spot. So right there, you're automatically bringing the pool essentially to eight teams yeah, who and, would fill them in. And you're hiding behind, and not again, not you, but people, uh, you're hiding behind keeping the regular season important, quote unquote. If the regular season was so important, then why is 11 and 0 Coastal Carolina at 12? Right. Why is undefeated Cincinnati behind three two loss teams in Iowa State, Florida, and Georgia? Right. Obviously, the regular season is not that important because you right. also have a five win team in Ohio State, five and 0 at number four. So the regular season clearly isn't that important as you make it out to be with the whole argument of, oh, it's got to stay at four because it keeps the regular season. No. No, it says no, it does not, because clearly you're not putting too much stock into the games if this is what the rankings look like. My solution is simple, very simple. And it, it, there's, the whole thing about, oh, it adds another game, adds another week. They have like three weeks off between the playoff and then, I mean, between championship the and, yeah. and the first round of the playoff. And then they have two weeks after that. So right. you could definitely do it. Um, if you want, cut one of the preseason games against an FCS school and move everything up a week, whatever you want to do. Adding one game is not going to hurt here. And to what we were talking about with Rob, as far as losing out on quote unquote bowl games. Well, if you're having four extra teams in the playoff, that's two extra quote unquote bowl games. Cause every playoff game is associated with a bowl. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to have that first round of the playoff, say the week after championship week, boom, go right into it. Even if you want to give a bye week and then it, whatever, you still have plenty of time then for the four losers of the first round to play a different bowl game right after New Year's. So you could still have the four losers playing another game anyway. So it gives them an extra game too. So besides the, the games and that, the format for me would be simple. The five Power Five conferences, their conference champion is guaranteed a bid as long as they don't have more than two losses. So for example, a couple of years ago, you had that Big Ten title game where it was like a, a seven and five, a seven and four Northwestern team against one loss Ohio State. If Northwestern would have upset them, you don't get the automatic right, thing. Right, right. Any given day, any team could win. You know, the last few years in the ACC, you've had three, four loss teams going up against Clemson. They don't steal a bid there. So, Power Five conference champ cannot have more than two losses. Now, if a conference champ has three losses, they could still get in because. In my format of eight, you've got the five champions, so long as they don't have more than two losses. You've got the highest group of five team, so long as they don't have more than two losses. And then two at-large bids. So if you have a three-loss conference champ, maybe you put them in as one of the at-large bids anyway. But if you have a conference champ that has more than two losses, now that bid just becomes an at-large bid. So it's, it's, that's it. Five, five conference champions, if they have fewer than two losses, one group of five teams if they have fewer than two losses, two at-large bids. If you get a given year where the Pac-12 champion has three losses and the Big Ten champion has four losses, but there's another Big Ten team who only has one loss and there's a Pac-12 team who has one loss, but like just the way it worked out, didn't win their championship or whatever, then those bids become at-large bids. So you're getting eight. You're adding incentive to winning a conference championship. You're giving a group of five team a chance so basically the way I see it, this year's playoff would be if Alabama, assuming everything goes chalk this week, Alabama's in, Clemson's in, Ohio State's in. Now, Notre Dame in a normal year is an independent, so I would say they would get in as one of the at-large bids. Mm-hmm. 
And then in the Pac-12, USC undefeated, Pac-12 champ, they're in. Big 12, Iowa State, Oklahoma, they have two losses, but that's the threshold. So whoever wins that game is in because it's only two losses. If they would have three losses, then that would become an at-large bid where you could still decide to put them in if you want, but you could also give it instead to a Texas A&M, who's an SEC team with one loss. So there's flexibility here. You get eight teams. You're rewarding conference champions. Your regular season still means something because you lose that quote-unquote auto bid if you have more than two losses. That's my solution. I don't know why something isn't being looked at for 18. I like that. My solution has been similar, but I think college football should do away with the divisions. So like you have the SEC West, SEC East, Big Ten. Do it like the Big Big 12. Like the Big 12. But everybody still plays who they normally play. So Maryland would still play Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State. You just do away with the divisions. You bring the best two teams to the championship game, and then whoever wins gets the automatic bid, and then you have the three at large. And I think the rankings decide whoever the highest-ranked teams are in the rankings goes to the championship. So even if one team has the tiebreaker, if they're not higher than that team – gotcha. So, because that way, I think it would really, it would make the rankings more fun. It would give the teams a lot more to play for in the regular season. If they're like, well, we lost to this team, so we can't jump them, but we're higher in the rank. I think it would be, it would add a lot more excitement. So there's, there's so many ways. They what we figured do out it. in five minutes here is right. there's so many ways to do it that are very logical and people would get behind that are so much better than the current. We're just going to pick the four best teams. And oh, by the way, we really don't care about the regular season, even though we do, because we have an 11 and 0 team at 12 and three, two lost teams, four, two lost teams ahead of them. Excuse me. Um, because Iowa state, Georgia, Florida, and Oklahoma are all ahead of coastal Carolina because and coastal reason- Carolina beat one of the teams that Iowa state lost to by two touchdowns at home. So clearly it means nothing. And everybody's saying that college football goes through these cycles and these teams won't be good forever. Does it though? I mean, Bama and Clemson been a four of the five playoffs Notre Dame's, this will be their third, second. second. And Ohio State has been the three before this year. I mean, it's the same teams every year. You got to give other teams. If Coastal made it in an 18 field, do I think they'd win the national championship? No. 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 But they deserve the chance. Again, Going exactly. undefeated. In my, format, in my format, it would be, again, assuming chalk this week, Bama's one, Clemson's two, Ohio State's three, USC is four. And Iowa State is five, assuming everything goes chalk this week. USC's four, not Notre Dame. Uh, no, because again, five conference champs. Oh, of your of your group. Gotcha. Yeah, yep. going by my format, I'm saying those would be the five. Gotcha. Your sixth team would be Coastal Carolina right. as your best group of or, sorry, or Cincy, depending on how that would play out, as your best group of five teams. And then you would have Notre Dame as the one at large, and then you'd have another at large, probably Texas A&M. Now this is what I was going to get to my format is to just get the 18 field. The committee would then see the 18 field, how they see fit. So you could, so you would still have possibly that, that two loss Iowa state team that gets an auto bid. They could possibly be the eight seed playing against Bama or coastal could be the eight seed. So again, my format is to, that's the one caveat that I wanted to get to after you gave yours. Mine is to get the eight teams in, and then you could seed based off of that. Because when you, when you get into that aspect, then that's how you could really make it as fair and true a playoff as possible. 
I like it. I just think, uh, yeah, I, I would do, I mean, that's fine. I would do it if you're undefeated, then you just get, you know, one of the top seeds or whatever. Sure. And then if you're one loss, you do it. But I mean, look again, the fact that we've come up with this and the committee just yeah. stays with their way because I mean, I hate seeing the same teams every year. I think they're the four best teams we all do, but we all thought BYU was better than coastal and they didn't beat them. So, you I know, I mean, play. it's, it's what, it's what it is. Um, with that being said, though, do you think this will be the four come Sunday when they announce the playoff? I do. Um, if there's one switch that I think we could see, it's what they want to do with A&M and Notre Dame. Because I think Clemson's going to blow the doors off of Notre Dame as a statement because Lawrence was out the first game. Oh, wow. Um, and with that said, it's just a matter of how much they beat them by. If they beat them by like two touchdowns, then Notre Dame's in. If Clemson just is in a bad mood and wants to come out and beat them 56 to 13, which I don't think will happen, but on the off chance it does, then you question would they put Notre Dame, who just got embarrassed on national television, in, or would they put Texas A&M in? So I think Bama, Clemson, and Ohio State all win this week, and then Notre Dame or Texas A&M will depend on how badly Notre Dame gets beaten because Tennessee's, I mean, stranger things have happened, but I don't think Tennessee's beating Texas A&M. No. Um, yeah. To me, again, we talked about it with Rob. I really think there's only one spot open and that's if Notre Dame beats Clemson and who they put in it for. I think Texas A&M has a real disadvantage because it would, you would think Ohio State would move up to three if they win, and A&M would be into four. And would they really put Bama and A&M rematch together? Because we've already seen that game, and it wasn't pretty. Now, yeah. teams change, and A&M, the way it is, should slide up to that fourth position. But they talk about so much how they value conference championships. So would they value a two-loss Big Ten champion, Iowa State, over an undefeated Cincinnati? Uh to me, I almost no, want right to see. That, you're right in that aspect of we're going to get a true test here of what they think about conference champs. Because if Notre Dame wins and Iowa State wins, then you have Clemson as a two-loss powerhouse non-champion, A&M as a one-loss non-champion who got destroyed by Bama, and then right. Iowa State as a two-loss champion. So that would be very interesting. And remember, the one year where that happened was when Bama lost to Auburn in the Iron Bowl. They were 11-1, didn't make the SEC championship game. Ohio State had two losses, and one of those was that blowout to Iowa by like 30 points. But they won the Big Ten title, but they didn't get in over Bama. So it's kind of the same situation. But again, A&M isn't the brand that Bama is, and they didn't look as good throughout the season as Bama did that year. And Iowa State, again, they're not – I just – I wonder how much of this the committee goes into this is Iowa State. Like, do we think I Iowa State – And again, that's and that why – sucks. That's why you need to have a clear path to what the birds are in the playoff because otherwise you do get this whole thing where it's like, all right, well, yeah, they're probably going to pick the billion-dollar brand of Notre Dame. I don't right. know if billion dollars. I just said that. Right, right. They're going to pick the brand. <laughs> close, is, probably. They're going to pick the brand that is Notre Dame over Iowa State. But again, That's whether right. your format or mine, there's a clear-cut path to the eight teams and a formula to it. The committee's still there for me for the seating, but you have a clear-cut, this team is in because they did this, this team is in because they did this. There's no conjecture, and it's 
And that's what I think is still keeping this playoff back from being something that is perfect and enjoyed by everybody. Right. All right. Well, we'll get into this with uh, best bets because I got a couple college picks. I'm sure you do as well. NFL, though, week 15, one of the games of the year, Chiefs and Saints. The Chiefs are minus three. You mentioned earlier in the pod that Drew Brees is active. It looks like he's going to play. Um, who do you like in this matchup, Jeff? Uh, I do have this game in best bets, actually. So that's oh. a good segue. Let's start best bets with Let's this pick. Go ahead. Uh, it's actually my number four pick, but I'll go back to my number five pick in a minute. My number four pick in this one is the Chiefs minus three. I think the Chiefs, what we've seen the last few weeks, is similar to uh, the Golden State Warriors in the past, similar to the Lakers last year. They're a team who is bored out of their freaking mind right now because the stakes aren't high and they're just so much better than everybody. And this is their chance. Like you said, that team with their speed on the turf, in, in, on the road. I just I can't wait to watch it. This is their chance to remind people, like, yeah, we've been playing some – games that are closer than they should have been but we're so much better than everybody and we're bored and we're finally playing a team that's near our caliber and we're going to beat them by 10 just to remind you of who the fbr so i like the chiefs minus three i my number five pick i'm going to we got two saturday nfl games this week. oh that's um, one thing i wanted to touch on before we keep going yeah um, that's the nfl should have rescheduled once they saw that the college schedule was going to have championship week this week there's no yeah great point there, there, because there's no city planning with parking and fans and stuff they could have just pushed those two saturday games back everybody would have been happy now now this panthers packers game watch and the bills broncos game that i want to watch is going to be going up against sec time acc 10 title game and nobody needs that so that that kind of sucks i wish they would have changed that I, it's a good point you bring up. I can't wait to see the ratings uh, between Bills, Broncos, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Panthers, Packers, and Bama, Florida. We'll see what happens. My number five pick, though, Joe, I like the Carolina Panthers plus eight and a half against Green Bay. Carolina is five and one against the spread on the road this season. One of the best road teams in the NFL. They almost beat Kansas City on the road. They were seven point underdogs at the Chargers early on in the season, beat them. They beat Atlanta on the road. Just a big number for Green Bay. You always talk about look aheads in football. Green Bay's got Tennessee next week on Sunday night. That's going to be a great game. Could be a little look ahead to that. Matt Rule, we talk about how much we love him, what a great young coach he is. He gets his teams to play up to the level of their competition. Bridgewater always covers uh, big numbers, so I like Panthers plus eight and a half. All right, before we keep going, I am 36 and 36, and you are 35 and 37. Five and 37. So we both battled back from what was, I think, 23 and 32 to now. Yeah, we were down in the gutter, but we crawled our way back. Good week. So something I haven't done before. Uh, but I'm going to do this week. I have my number five pick, but I have a backup pending health. Um, so my fi- number five pick right now is Seahawks minus five and a half against the Washington football team. Because as of now, it seems like Gibson's out and Dwayne Haskins is playing. If Smith is playing or Gibson's playing, either of them, because I think they both make a big difference. I want this fifth pick to switch to uh, – Bears plus three against the Vikings. Okay. So I was between these two and it's pending the injury. So depending on the injury report, uh, 
it would flip to Bears plus three against the Vikings. Um, Seahawks, I think, are just a much better team than Washington. I think this line is an overreaction to what Washington has done the last couple of weeks, but I don't think they can score really much on the Seahawks if those two guys are out. And the Seahawks, I think their offense is still suited to be good against Washington because Wilson is that playground football type guy. He can mitigate the pressure from that defensive front. So I like the Seahawks minus five and a half. And then on the other side, I think the Bears win this game, could win this game outright. Um, I, I don't, the last couple of weeks, I haven't been sold on the Vikings. They were taken to overtime at home against the Jaguars um, last week. Sure, they could have maybe won against the Bucks if Dan Bailey made some kicks, but he didn't. And you don't know how the game would have gone or wouldn't have gone. But the Bears have been playing really well defensively, especially. So I think they could win outright. Um, not feeling great about both of these picks to put them both in my top five, but given the situation with the pending health of those few guys on Washington, I like that as my five with the bears Vikings bears plus three as my backup in case those guys are healthy. Um, where was Kansas city in your top five? What number pick were they? They were number four. Sorry. They, they were number four. Um, that's what I said when I, when I tossed, I said, this is my number four pick. I'll go back to my five and, gotcha. a second. and yeah, this is my five. It could be a substitution. My number four San Francisco minus three against Dallas. I just think it's a terrible matchup for Dallas. They have the worst run defense in the NFL. Kyle Shanahan can call run plays with the best of them. And with the way Nick Mullins is throwing the ball right now, I expect a heavy ground game. I hope Raheem Mostert plays. If he does, I love the three. If he doesn't, I still like it, but I'm not as much on it. I think Mostert means a lot to that team. Debo Samuel being out hurts as well, but – Dallas just, I mean, they're not a good home team at all. I think they have one home win all season long. Um, the 49ers are much better on the road. And I just think the matchup for San Francisco, the fact that you get it at three is a good bet. I like the Niners minus three. Um, the one that I like is, at number three is a college game. And it's a conference we haven't really talked about all year because they've just been an afterthought. But USC minus three in that Pac-12 title game against Oregon, who was just kind of thrown into this game after Washington had COVID issues. Um, I have not been impressed with Oregon. The few games I've seen from them this year, they lost against Oregon State. And again, they weren't in this Pac-12 title game until Washington got the COVID issues that they had spring up. Um, USC had a couple of close games. They had a close game to start off against Arizona and uh at times they've looked like they could be had, but Keaton Slovis has been tremendous. And Amon Ross St. Brown is ridiculous at receiver right now. Uh, I don't know that Oregon can score with the USC. I think this game kind of has 34 to 24 in favor of USC. Uh, the number's three, so I'll take USC minus three. My number three, I'm going to college as well. You think Clemson's going to blow out Notre Dame? I like the Irish. I just think the Irish are a great matchup for Clemson because – the way that they play offense uh, against Clemson's defense, Clemson loves to blitz, but Notre Dame's got big receivers. Michael Mayer is a huge tight end. Ben Skronik's a huge wide receiver. They got one of the best offensive lines in the country to hold up against that pressure. And look, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one pick. He's an unbelievable talent, but I still think the game plan for Notre Dame remains the same. In the first game, they wanted to take away ETN and they wanted to force Uyangalale to beat him. Well, I, you know, as crazy as it is, I think you, again, have to take ETN away so you can force Clemson into a passing team and just take your chances with Lawrence. I think they do that. I think Clemson wins, 
but especially the fact I get that half point, you know, maybe it's 34, 24, something like that. I like Notre Dame plus 10 and a half. Uh, my last two are NFL. I, I, the line scared me a little bit. I didn't think this would be such a small line, but I like the Dolphins minus a point and a half at home against the Patriots. Um, I think after Thursday night, the Patriots kind of looked exposed a little bit and the Dolphins, they were right there against the Chiefs this week. The Dolphins defensively deserve more credit. I think we've been, and people have been giving them and the corners on the outside have been tremendous. They turned Pat Mahomes over three times with picks. They forced a fumble in that game. Nobody, we haven't seen people turn the Chiefs over the way the Dolphins did, and they've done it all year with the turnovers. I don't think that we talked about this last week when you were on the Patriots and I was on the Rams. I don't think the Patriots are good. I think they've ground out a couple of victories just because that's kind of the Belichick way. But I think when they are going up against teams that are truly better than them, and I think as weird as it is to say the Dolphins are truly better than them and the Dolphins are fighting for a playoff bid and Flores comes from the Patriots and would love to beat them to help his team continue to make the playoffs. Um, I, I really do like the Dolphins too has been taking care of the ball and Gesicki being hurt could hurt them, but I, I think they do enough to get this victory. So you have Miami one and a half. I'm at three. I'll take it either way. Don't matter. <laughs> I'm looking at him at right now at one and a half uh, where I see it, but um, either way, you know, let me know. Let's where are you looking at? I'm just looking on ESPN at okay. uh, uh, airlines. I was looking at FanDuel, but let me see what DraftKings has, and let's see if we got a tiebreaker on this. Um, right. It's also one and a half. So two of them oh, are one gosh. and a half. So go one and a half. Sweet. All right. Well, that is uh, my number one best bet is one of those teams. My number two, though, Joe, we love this team. We've been on them all season, but the spread worries me, and the fact that I know everybody's going to be on them. I'm taking Louisiana plus three and a half against Coastal. I'm hoping Coastal wins the game by three because I hope they win. But again, the line is just, it's low. And I'm just, I'm afraid to, to, to lay the points with Coastal. And it's tough to go undefeated. It's tough to beat a team twice in the same season. Louisiana is going to want revenge. Everybody's going to be talking about if Coastal wins this game, they have three wins over top 25 teams. Do they jump Cincinnati? as the top group of five and go to a BCAS ball. It's just, I just, there's too much going for coastal. I like Louisiana this week, plus three and a half. It's my best bet of college weekend. They almost lost last week against Troy in in a similar spot. So uh, my number one, I'm not going against what has gotten me here all year, PJ. The Rams minus 17 and a half at home against the Jets. Don't care about the number. I would have taken this all the way up to 24. I know my team. Um, we just saw them lose 40 to three against the Seahawks. I said in the podcast last week, I looked at it as a 38 to three game. I was two points off for the Seahawks. It's the number 32 offense against the number one defense. And we know how that Ram offense has been clicking lately as well. I look at it like this. There's no shot. I'd be stunned. I'd be stunned if the jets find a way to score more than 10. So worst case scenario, the jets are scoring 10 or best case scenario, depending on which way you look at it, 10 points. The Rams are getting into the end zone at, against that Jets defense at least four times, at least, probably more. So on one hand, I don't think there's a possible way the Rams score less than 28. I don't think there's a possible way the Jets score more than 10. So right there, if it's both extremes, it's 28 to 10, and that's a cover at 17 and a half. So, and I think it's, it's going to be – I genuinely think, P.J., 
We will see. I genuinely think the Jets are going to get shut out this week, like they did against the Dolphins earlier in the year. I genuinely think they're going to get shut out. I think this game is probably 34 to 3. I'm sorry, 34 to nothing. Maybe the Jets get a field goal on the opening drive. I saw the stat this week. The Jets are second in opening drive scoring and then last in the league for every other drive after that, which is ridiculous. So Sign. if they get anything, it's an early, it's a, it's a first drive field goal, but probably 34 to nothing or 34 to three. Sign Gates to four more years just because his <laughs> opening script is fantastic. Hey, if you, he's a hot commodity as a head coaching candidate for any team that wants a number one pick. Yeah, so that's true. That's known for him. Um, Joe, I'm surprised you took the bait because my number one is New England plus one and a half against hey, Miami. Did, we did this. We did this last week. I did, I but look, New England <laughs> is New England is not good. But I'm shocked that you could back Miami when it's Belichick versus a rookie quarterback. I mean, that right there should tell you everything. Yeah, but that I, plus the fact he's going against a former assistant, plus the fact that they played on Thursday, and you give him a mini bye week to watch even more tape on Tua. I, look, this game was ugly when they played all the way back in Week One when Fitzpatrick was quarterback. It's going to be another ugly, low-scoring game. And even though Miami lost to Kansas City, I think people took more from that game from Miami than they did Kansas City. They're like, Miami's the real deal. They forced four turnovers. Tua looks good. But, man, I mean, your season is on the line. You need to win out to make the playoffs. And you're a one-and-a-half-point favorite at home against New England who just looked awful against the Rams. Oh, boy, oh, boy. I took the bait. It might hurt me, but I took the bait because, again, it's just they are the better team. And the one thing, too, has done well is take care of the ball in a way that, like, when Justin Herbert was going up against the Patriots a couple weeks ago, Justin Herbert's knock was, again, still some accuracy and being careless with the ball. Tua just threw his first pick this past week, and he's been very careful. He's mobile, and we know that Belichick and mobile quarterbacks, that's always been kind of a thing sometimes as well on the other side of that coin. So I just think a team that can make the playoffs by winning out in the Dolphins against a team that really took a big blow Monday night. When the Ravens won that game, the Patriots playoff chances pretty much deflated entirely because now they're going to have to, the Patriots would have to win out against the Dolphins, Bills, and Jets. And the Ravens would have to lose to at least either the Jaguars or the Giants, which is not going to happen. Uh, so they, their chances for the playoffs pretty much went down to zero. And I think that was just in a few days span, getting blown out against the Rams and then seeing the one thing you needed to have happen, not happen. I think they're kind of demoralized and the, the Dolphins, I think are just brimming with confidence after going toe to toe with the chiefs the way they did. So yeah, I actually, it goes against the spot of, of Belichick against a rookie QB that we see so often turn out so poorly. But if again, similar to last week with my hunch that like, if there's a time for the bills to buck the bills trend, it was last week. I think if there's a time for that rookie quarterback trend to be bucked, it's this week because the Dolphins are a tremendous defense and they have their guys back offensively in Jakeem Grant, Devontae Parker, and they have their backfield back in full. So I think they've got what it takes to beat a team that is worse than they are. It's a great point you bring in up. A, in a place that has been a house of horrors for the Patriots recently, yes. even with Brady. I can't tell you how many times they've gone down there and looked terrible yeah, against the Dolphins have. and lost the miracle in Miami last year. So there's a lot going against Patriots too. 
I, it's a great point you bring up. I didn't even think about it, but I even love it more for my pick. You think New England's going to be the demoralized team. I think it's Miami. You had the Chiefs. You turn them over four times going in. You'd have to think if you do that, you win the game. And then you watch Baltimore stick a knife to your chest. And now if you lose one game with the schedule that they have, you'd have to think you're out. I just, I don't know. I But exactly. They can't, they know they have to win out. They control the destiny of the Dolphins. They do, but uh, their schedule, home against New England this week, at Las Vegas next week, and then at Buffalo. Their schedule is not easy. We'll we'll see what happens. You are on the right side of New England. I pick New England every single week, and I don't know. It's just their spreads. (laughs) I like their spreads that they get. Um, All right, Joe. Trivia, as we always do, end every show. Ten and a half to ten and a half. We've gone a little cold streak here. I like my question for you this week. I believe I... I'll give you my question. I'll give you my question. I I like mine too. Um, We talked about the whole group of five thing in the college football playoff and they haven't really been given a chance. I don't want you to give me, I don't want you to match team with year and what number rank they would be. That's just brutal. Um, Since the college football playoff started in 2014, I just want you to give me the six teams that have finished as the highest ranked group of five team which is really four because one of them is very easy and I did it twice um honestly you know that it's UCF so I'm gonna (laughs) just forget that just give me the other four teams who have finished as the highest ranked group of five team again you don't have to match the year or the rank just give me the four schools who have done it uh and your time starts now all right I know Western Michigan is one with PJ Fleck 2016 they were number 15 uh so that's the furthest year back no, 14, 2014. Oh, 2014. Years. Okay. Uh, I mean, is Boise UCF, one of- UCF were 2017 and 2018. UCF gotcha. was 12 and 8 those years. Is Boise State one of those years? Boise State was the very first one in 2014, number 20. So you've got Didn't they play of- like Arizona or something? I don't remember who they played, oh, okay. but I just, I just look at the rankings to see who the highest in the last poll, who the highest ranked group of five team was. So you got two to go and you've got over a minute. Yeah. Who was the group of five team? So you're missing 2015 and 2019. Oh, my God. All right, let's think about this. Wasn't – oh, Memphis was last year against Penn Memphis State. Memphis was last year, number 17. Um, They're just missing 2015, and you've got 45 seconds. 2015. Ooh, was it Northern Illinois? It was not. Florida State? Oh, Jordan not. Lynch, I thought I had it. Um. Is it another Mac team? It wasn't Buffalo. It wasn't. Yeah, one strike. Wasn't App State. You got about thirty seconds left. Tulsa. Oh, this is gonna kill me. Houston. It was Tom Herman's Houston. Yeah, team. baby, against Florida they, State. Thirty-eight to twenty-four against Florida State <laughs> in the Peach Bowl. There you go. Thank you. So you got it. Boom. Um, who else was on that team? Major Applewhite was the offensive coordinator. Uh, was that? Derek King was, was the quarterback. I, I thought Freshman. it was a now Eagles wide receiver, Greg Ward, who was the quarterback. Oh, you're Let me right. Pull it that up. was, yes. I, that's I think exactly it's Greg Ward, quarterback. Right? Yep, yeah, you're 100% yeah. right. Yep. yep. Very right. All right, Joe, well done. Uh, my question for you is NBA. We what? saw this week, uh, a couple days ago, Giannis signed the largest contract in NBA history. Can you name uh, – so he was one. Can you name three of the other four of the top five contracts? Okay. Go. Um, 
So it's got to be somebody who signed a Supermax with their team. It can't be somebody who left their team unless they did it in a sign-and-trade. Um, are we talking average or just lucrative contract? Here? Lucrative, yeah, like the entire okay, deal. So like Damian Giannis Lillard. was 228.2 gotcha. million. Damian Lillard's on there. He's not on there. Really? Yeah. That was the one that I thought was for sure on there. Um, gosh, okay. Um, Anthony Davis? That is number five, correct. Okay. That was That's this year, actually, with the Lakers. Yeah. Um, LeBron? Not LeBron. I think no. he'd be on there because of the way it's worked out for him. Two All strikes. Right, so two gone. Um, 45 seconds left. It's got to be teams that they had that teams had the bird rights for, probably. Let's see. Uh, I thought for sure Lillard made it. That sucks. Um, Steph? Steph, correct. That's got to be on there. Okay. Need one more. 30 right. seconds, one strike, oh God. and one more to get. Man, this is going to be tough. Um, I mean, you go through, like, the best players. and I See, I know he just signed a big deal, but I don't know if it was technically the biggest because it wasn't a long-term deal. But James Harden? Not Harden. Nah. So, Giannis was one. Westbrook was two. Really? $206.8 million in 2017. Yeah. And then Steph was three, $201.2 million in 2017. The one that I didn't get, which I, I don't know if you knew, was Clay Thompson was four. Oh, okay. $189.9 million I thought about saying Clay because I know, like, they're so high in the luxury tax award. Yeah. But I didn't think he'd be right up there with Steph. I thought for sure Lillard was in there. What was Lillard's contract then? I don't know. Uh, just there was a stat on Twitter that I saw with the top five, so I don't know, it, but I'm sure you can look it up. So let's see. Let's let's pull it up and see how far, far off I was. Oh yeah, he signed uh, he signed a five year, hundred and forty million dollar deal. So I guess he didn't. Uh, that's he a didn't good get to steal for Portland. Max My yet. God, that's yeah, a great that's, get for them. That's not bad at all. But Giannis, um, but is yeah, no, two, I mean, Giannis is two hundred twenty eight. <laughs> million and the next closest is Westbrook and that's two a lot what threw me what threw me was the overall value not average because if it's like average like LeBron's up there Lillard's up there Harden's yeah. up there right right but that's yeah, the per year I think Harden's yeah. like 50 per year yeah but it was yeah. it was the total money all right good so. question you, you you have finally retaken the lead in trivia by one yeah I, I like the college question I do this uh college bowl pool every year where I pick against the spread so I was trying to remember like those group of five <laughs> bowl games like who is it and I'm like Houston I had them that year against Florida State <laughs> there so you I go well hey it's it's weird, but I guess we got to start doing bowl preview. Maybe next week, possible guest brewing could go through NBA preview and bowl preview next week. We we will try to have a pod out by Tuesday next week, Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah, Christmas because time. Christmas time. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, we'll keep you updated if you're following us on Twitter at Glass O Joe, not Glass of Joe. That was taken for some reason, but Glass O Joe without the F in of is us. Um, but. All right, PJ, we're getting to crunch time in the end. Oh, I saw you were bouncing Survivor this week. You had San Fran. You, I don't want to talk you, about you, it. You clung on for a while. I mean, I, I had still... Pittsburgh saved for this week against Cincinnati and San Fran. Couldn't have gotten me my win. I'm not still happy. one of the three in our pool who are perfect and have not suffered their first strike. There's a dozen of us overall, nine with one strike, three perfect. I'm one of the three perfect. I have the Titans at home against the probably Matthew Stafford list Lions this week. And then next week, I'll probably go with the Browns on the road against the Jets. And then week 17 will be a free-for-all, depending on who is and is not resting players. Um, 
I looked on ESPN.com's. I've I've gone way too much into this. Like <laughs> I, I don't think I've been this close to the end of a suicide pool before. Uh, but I, I looked in the ESPN playoff machine to see what the scenario could be in Week 17, such that the Packers uh, would have the number one seed clinched. And that's what I'm hoping for because then the Bears could be a play in Week 17 because I, Week 17 is going to be tough, man. Week 17. Joe, be it's dry. impressive you made it this far. I lost Week One with Indianapolis to Jacksonville. That was the Jags' only win this season. Only win this season. <laughs> and then I ran the table for 13 weeks straight, and then lost last week. Last week, one, week tough. Week one's always tough because you don't know anything about anybody. Yeah. So I just, I just went. I, I know you like to try to save teams for later on in the year. I went with the big guns right away Thursday night. I took the chiefs against the Texans because we know the stats about Andy Reid in opening games or off of bye weeks when he has all the extra time to prepare. So I was like, you know what? Week one, two and three are always the toughest because we don't know who is what yet. So I was like, all right, screw it. Let's just get past this little first wave and um, take the chiefs. I don't have them later Smart. in the year, but I'll manage. And I nope. managed, so it worked, there out. You go. it worked out. Well done. All right, well, thanks again to Rob Quallen for joining us. Great talking to him. Ryan Warmly for surprising Joe. I'm sure Joe really uh, enjoyed <laughs> the Ravens talk. Uh, but, yeah, great week of college football. Great week of NBA is coming back. NFL, a lot of good stuff. PJ, by the time we release our next episode, the NBA season will have tipped off. Yeah, that's that's freaking crazy. crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> all right, Joe. I'll see you, buddy. Have a uh, yeah. have a good weekend. Yep. Thanks. You as well.